Let's pray and bring some reverence back to this joint. Okay. Father, we thank you for this time. Uh, We thank you for the promises that we see in this text. Um, And Lord, may your spirit uh, continue to work in our lives and in this place that we might learn and be changed today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, How many of you have Christmas lists? Yeah, what's on them? It's fine. I wanted Apple earpods, AirPods, whatever they're called. What, what do you want? I got them. Don't, don't worry. It was an anniversary thing. I should have asked something different. What's on, your, what's on your Christmas list? What do you want? I heard something. New paper towel. New paper towel. <laughs> Aim high. Anything? Uh, you had a list over here. What, what did you want? What? An air fryer? Sounds delicious. Anything else? What did you ask for, Kendi? A new workout outfit? That's what I'd like too, yeah. <laughs> did you have something else? No, you're just getting embarrassed. We have these Christmas lists. My wife hates this time of year when it comes to asking for Christmases because I don't know. Uh, I, she'll say, Brad, what do you want for Christmas? I'm like, I'm, I'm good. I'm starting to understand why my dad always said socks uh, because my, my three-year-old takes them. And hides them, and all of a sudden I don't have socks. So I'm getting why it was a sock thing. So Christmas list, we make this list of what we would like and what we dream of and, and what we normally wouldn't buy ourselves, right, hopefully. And, so, and, and, and our, our wish is that we're going to get them, that this will come to pass. If you, if you still believe in Santa Claus, and that he'll bring them, and that this, will, this, is, this is what will happen. Uh, and so as we look at Isaiah 11... He starts making all of these predictions. He's making a prophecy. He's looking for a time, uh, both when Christ comes for the first time, but when Christ is coming for the final time, the second coming of Christ. And he's making this list of everything made right. He's speaking to a list, to a group of people, Israel and Judah. You heard that Israel will no longer, or Ephraim will no longer be jealous of Judah. It's, it's this divided nation that divided uh, back after Solomon uh, died and Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Remember all those fun names? And they took over the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom, and there was enmity between them. And he's looking forward to this time when the nation is united. And they get along. And then he lists all these other nations of Babylon and Assyria and the islands of the Mediterranean and the Philistia in the west. And he's naming all of these places that have afflicted Israel. And he's longing and dreaming for a time that everything will be set right. And Israel is united and that they're back from exile. This is his Christmas wish list. And what he's doing, and, and, and we, don't, we, we, can, we can look at it and say he's making a, a job description. He, he's saying, these are the things that Messiah, when Messiah comes, will bring. He'll bring all of these things to us. And then he goes on to this prophetic piece, and we'll get to that later, about how lions lay down with the lamb and that there's a unification. And, and what Isaiah is doing here is he's bringing out these truths of what he wants. And as we look at it today, there are three truths of what we want. When we look deep into our lives, when we look deep into what's happening, what Isaiah is saying in a roundabout way is something that you and I would both want as well. If we can put this on our list it will be on our list. So the first thing he says is he's looking for a shoot from a stem, which sounds weird, but we'll get to why it's important. In verse 1 of, of chapter 11, Isaiah, he says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch that will bear fruit. Uh, in the Hebrew, uh, the, the word here 
Uh, it, it, it's an interesting word. It's the word nester. It's the, what we believe is the root word for Nazareth. It's this idea of a branch. Nester. Think of Fred Esther, but say nester. You can if you want out loud. Thank you. You guys caught on. It was good. You did good. It's this idea that this is, this is the branch that's coming. Now, scholars will start debating about root words, and you can get really, really nerdy into it, and I'll just save you the pages of, of things to read. They say that this might be the root word of this town called Nazareth, the town which Jesus came from, Nazareth. And so hold on to that because nasters, branches, are something that we normally don't pay attention to. But Isaiah is looking at this and he's saying there's going to be a shoot that comes up from the stump of Jesse. He's talking to a group of people who have seen nothing but devastation. Their civilization has been cut down. Their people have been killed. Their temple has been destroyed. The wall around their city, which signifies protection uh, and an establishment, that's been cut down. And everything about them is completely just gone. In, verse, in chapter 10, Isaiah starts using this imagery of a forest. And he says the forest is strong and then there's this axe that comes and chops it all down. And this idea of the forest being chopped down is that he's conveying that all of these strong, mighty nations, strong like trees and sequoias and cedars of Lebanon, are flattened with this axe. Even Israel has seen this, with them being carried off into exile. Everything is flattened down. All that's left are stumps. There's no more life. There's no more hope. There's no more strength. Is this bothering you yet? No, not at all. Okay, good. Uh, we'll just leave it there until it does, Steve. But all of this, it, it is, it's, it's this sign of decimation. And then he says, from this stump of Jesse you'll start to see new life come up. Now, I learned something. I, I went for a hike with Richard and Donna, and Donna taught me something called a nurse log. And I didn't know what a nurse log was, but for the, when Carrie and I first moved up here five, almost five years ago, we went for a walk in the woods. You might call it a hike. We went for a walk in the woods, and I came upon this. And you can't really see it because I was freezing, uh, but I took a picture of it, and it's a stump and on top of the stump is a tree growing out from the top of it. And I was like, that is weird. They forgot to chop off like half the tree. And we kept walking. I snapped a picture and went on. But there's another, Dave, you want to hit the other one? I found this one on Google, a little bit better picture, about a stump and then something coming from it. it, it it's, it's this idea of a nurse log. What happens is the seed gets stuck in the stump, and then it starts drawing the nutrients. And, and this is what I learned from Mrs. Dahlstrom, who if you ever meet Richard, Richard gets all of his forest stuff from Donna. Don't let him fool you. She's the forest expert. He just remembers things. And so, uh, but she's telling me all about this. We found some in there. They have these in their house or, or in their yard. But it's this idea that something's been cut off. It's been shaved off. And then there's new life coming from it. And if you think about it, what Isaiah is saying here is that what, what he has is this tree of Israel that was once strong under David. They had, they were, uh, the king of, King David was there. They were a global superpower. They had everything they needed. They were, they had money. They had power. They had prestige. Things were going well. And then it got knocked down. Something happened to it. That we, if you read this Old Testament, you realize that they started chasing other gods. They, they walked away from the covenant and then they were cut off. Here's the deal. Here's where we can find ourselves in this. 
we all have these sections in our lives where, we, where at one time we felt like, hey, this is going well. We have this dream that this is how life will go for us. We have this relationship like, hey, this, this is the one. This is it. And, and, and we think this is going to go great. Or, or, or then we have a marriage or something and, and we think this is going to happen. And then life happens. The dream goes away. Marriage crumbles. The, the plans that you might have had die. And you look at your life And you see that, man, what used to be this glorious tree is now just a stump. And there's nothing there. You can, we walk by stumps all the time. And what do you, do you even pay attention to them? Do you even notice them? And we start to look at our own hearts. And these dreams that were sprouting up are leveled. And we feel like useless stumps. And we use language like this, where, there, where there's a death of a family member, we'll say things like, nothing will ever be the same again. Where there's a, a loss of a dream, it, it becomes, I'll, I won't achieve much now, there goes everything. When, when it's a breaking of a marriage or a breaking of a relationship, the first thing that we see, I'm unlovable. We start to basically put a limit that we'll never see new life again, when when. We, my family experienced a house fire back in 2008. We've talked about it a little bit before, but for those who don't know, in 2008, a fire came through where we were living in California and completely wiped out the house. We had about eh, 10 minutes notice to get out. Everything was in there. And my mom and I got out. Um, I grabbed my dirty clothes and a guitar because I had to do laundry that day. So all my clothes were in the, the hamper and the guitar was just easy to grab. And so I grabbed a dirty clothes and a guitar and got the heck out of Dodge. My mom had, a, had, had some stuff, but we were sitting in a, in a hotel that night because the house had burned. Dad was in Nepal, so he did all this via phone. Uh, but we're sitting there, and we're just like, where do we go now? What do we do? Uh, we got, got nothing. I don't even have a laundry machine to wash my clothes in. This, I don't know where to start. It was, it was a stump. It was ashes, literally ashes. We experienced this also later when dad passed, uh, two or three years ago now, when dad passed. It was, what, how is life going to continue? Our father was a very central piece in our family. He brought everyone together. He was, he was the life of the party. He was a funny guy. But when he died, it was one of these things with the family of, how are, are things going to go now? Everything's going to be different We've all had experiences like this. You can name yours. You look in the forest of your heart and you start to see these stumps. Some of them were suddenly cut off by a windstorm that that you had no idea was coming. Others started to teeter and you did your best to prop them up and save whatever tree was there. But then over time, it just fell apart and you're left with stumps. We all have them. Here's where I think that our conditioning or, or our brain kind of traps us. We see the stump, and we automatically say, that's all that will ever happen. That story is complete. Nothing can ever come from a stump. And we move on, and we grow hard-hearted, and we start to close ourselves off. We call it protection. We call it conditioning. Perhaps we give up too soon, but we tend to never see past these stumps in our life. And we become so focused on the stump that we never see that God might be trying to bring up a form of new life from the back of it. 
We never expect to see new life from stumps in our hearts. But look what Isaiah is saying. It, it, it runs counter to how you and I think. He says that in the midst of our stumps, there's possibility. A shoot will come from the stump, and from it, roots will give new life. Remember, it said there's going to be a stump, and it's going to bear fruit. The stump of Jesse, David, comes from the line of Jesse. His dad was named Jesse, so it's saying this has been cut off, but there's more hope coming. From the place where you think that no hope can ever live, there's hope coming. From the place that you've written off because you don't think that anything good can come from that place, there's hope coming. So the word naysayer, Nazareth. Jesus comes from Nazareth. Uh, it, it fits well in, in, in this prophecy here because it doesn't make any sense that Jesus would ever come, uh, anything good would come from Nazareth. But as Norman read, Jesus is walking town to town. He finds Philip and he says, Philip, come follow me in, in John 1. And Philip, like P- Andrew and Peter, was t- from there from Bethsaida. That's a better town to be from. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about the prophets, and whom the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So they're saying, this is the one, this is the hope that we're looking for. And then they say, it's the one Moses wrote about, it's the one that all the prophets had pointed to, it's Jesus from Nazareth. And Nathan, or Nathaniel said, uh, <laughs> Nazareth? That's funny. Nothing good can come from Nazareth. It was this little snobbish mentality that they had towards Nazareth. Nothing ever happened in Nazareth. There was no innovation. It's a hill town full of hicks and rednecks. Nothing can come from Nazareth that is worth anything. Anything good comes from down towards Jerusalem. People avoid going to Nazareth. They had this snobbish mentality when it comes to cities. We have the same snobbish mentality when it comes to the Northwest. We do. Talk to anyone who's not from here. We all think that if it's not from this side of the mountains, it's worthless. Right? It's okay to laugh at ourselves. We do it. When I say, hey, there's this really innovative thing coming from Lubbock, Texas, what do you say? Texas? No. Nothing can come from Texas. Or if I said, yeah, it's coming from Wenatchee. No, that's just a funny word. People live in Wenatchee. That's what we think. We, or Tacoma, right? We, could, we have these cities where we alienate, say nothing can come from there. This is Nazareth. It got this thing like, no, the Messiah wouldn't, he wouldn't come from Nazareth. You're crazy. It, it, if it was a text message, it would have been LOL with a fun little meme next to it. This, nothing can come from there. But something did come from there. Nazareth, the hill town, brought forth the Messiah. The place that they didn't think anything good or hopeful can, can come from brought forth the new life that everyone was looking forward to. This, it was sort of like they picked up this package. This is something that they wanted. And they picked up the package under the tree on Christmas morning and they shook it going, there's no way it's in here, it's too small. We do the same things. We look at our stumps in our life and we say, there's no way that God can ever redeem this part of my life. There's no way that God can ever bring life to this broken place. It's kaput. It's gone. We finish our story whenever something happens and we say, this is the end of it. And we close the book. 
But if you look at books, and some of us read books, some of us just listen to them, books have pages. Pages, multiple pages make a book, correct? And then if you look at the page, there's, there's, there's sentences and paragraphs. And then if you get closer and closer, there's, there's letters that make words and there's punctuation. This is, am I right? Did I pay attention good in, gra- in grammar class? This is what makes a book. The thing that we do, it's like we're reading a book and we come to the, the second page of the book and we find a single punctuation, maybe it's a semicolon, and we look at it and go, that's terrible. This whole book is bad. And we shut the book because of one punctuation mark in, that's attached to one word, that's attached to one sentence, attached to a paragraph, attached to a page, attached to another 400 pages. We focus on the bad part and we close the book and throw it away. When there's an entire book that's about to unfold. This is what Isaiah is pointing to and it, and it tells us something. Your story, the stump that got cut off, is just a small part of a larger book. There's more to your story than the cut-off stump. In fact, that's what Jesus has come to do. He says, I want to bring life to that stump. And not just life that goes, oh, cool, there's, I'll, I'll always live regret or always live with pain. No, this is a new life, and it brings fruit. It means it's going to grow strong. It's coming from a stump of death, but it brings life. This is what Isaiah is pointing to. And he says in verse, in verse 2 of, of chapter 11, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. This is talking about the branch that comes from the stump. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This gives us hope. Hope that our stories aren't done. It also encourages us to pay attention. We have hope that our story is not done, but we can pay attention that the places that are broken, God can use even though we've written them off. We may think our story is over with. We might be rolling credits and thinking our lives are, never, are complete. There's no reason to live anymore. Everything is meaningless. But we never doubt what God can do with the smallest part of life. House burned down 2008. God used that to show my family and I, the community around us that rallied, helped us rebuild something that was far greater than what burnt down. We saw our friends come into our lives. And we realized we're not alone in this. And because of that, because of what God did out of those literal ashes, he traded them and we were able to be a light to our neighborhood. My dad was a house builder. Because of the things that he was able to do with the house that he rebuilt, he rebuilt several houses on our street. And my dad's business method was more missional than it was business. And all of those people heard the light of Christ throughout their, throughout their rebuilding process. God used literal ashes to bring his story. Then if we look, look back at the time of pain of my dad's passing, That time brought us four kids back together again. We weren't estranged, but we weren't close. You know what I mean? But that his his death, now we're closer. We're seeing the new life take off for mom. We're seeing her come into her own. We're seeing my sister and, and, and our relationships with my brother and my other brother and my sister are closer. Now, it's a shame that it had to happen after dad had passed, but his death is bringing forth new life. You pay attention to your story. 
your place of devastation, how is God bringing new life into it? And if you start examining it, I'm fairly confident you'll start to see places and stories and new shoots and branches growing from them. This is what Isaiah wanted for Israel. He says, I want, we want new life, and Jesus will bring new life. The next thing he says is we want spirit-led judgment. It's a cry for justice is what he's asking for. He says, the spirit of the Lord will rest upon this, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Isaiah mentions twice in these two sentences. He starts with saying, it has the fear of the Lord. This leader, this, this new life will have fear of the Lord, and he ends it with fear of the Lord. That's a, it's a poetic bookmark saying this is the main point, and everything else that he says in the middle of it come from this idea of fear and respecting and growing in knowledge of God. But it's not this knowledge of God that we, that we tend to enjoy where we spit out facts and pages and read authors and stacks of books or listen to podcasts where we get this head knowledge. The fear of the Lord that Isaiah is talking about and, and, and in Hebrew thought, there was no, when they said knowledge, it wasn't head knowledge. It was an experiential knowledge. So he's saying all of these things come from the spirit of the Lord, from the fear of the Lord, and on this it will rest. On this new life, the spirit of the Lord will rest. We talked about this last week when we kind of did a deep dive into what the spirit of the Lord does for every one of us. It anoints us, it seals us, it gives us, it sends us out. This is what he's, he's talking about it again here. And he says the spirit of the Lord will rest. It's an ongoing resting. It's not something that just comes and goes The Spirit of the Lord will rest. It is on you. It has sealed you. It has inhabited you. It has filled you. And the same Spirit of the Lord is in you now, and it gives you these abilities that we'll talk about. The Spirit of the Lord will rest. It enables you to know God, but not knowledge, to experience God, to know him experientially. How many of you would say it's better to know God If you're in in a friendship or a relationship, you can know all of the things about your friend or your partner, but there's a difference between knowing and experiencing. I can know everything that Carrie likes, but if I don't experience the friendship and the relationship of my wife, it's a different kind of knowledge. This is what Isaiah is saying the same thing. This what he's asking, what he's telling us is there is a knowledge, an experiential knowledge, and then he uses this phrase that can point us back to the story of King David. Occasionally in the Old Testament, what you see is the Spirit coming and resting on certain individuals. We listed off a ton of them last week, uh, of Bezalel, Samson. The Spirit of the Lord came and rested upon David. We didn't go into David last week because we were going to get to him this week. David has a unique story. David was the son of Jesse. One day, Samuel, uh, God had had it with Saul, and, and, and he was looking for a new king, and he sends Samuel out to Jesse's house. And Jesse, he goes to Jesse. Jesse had a number of sons, and, and he says, Jesse, I need to see your sons, because among them, God's going to choose a new king. And so Jesse goes, sweet. He brings in his sons, and then in 1 Samuel sixteen eleven. He goes through all of them, and, and, and he asks Jesse, are these all the sons you have? And how many of you are youngest children? We'll get this, okay? Thank you. Uh, we'll, we'll understand this. And, and Jesse's words, oh, they're still the youngest. And, and, and there's a kind of read between the lines. 
Oh, is there anybody? Oh, there's still the youngest one. He forgot. It's not a nice thing here. There's still the youngest. He's over there tending the sheep. I, I didn't think you would, you would you'd want to see him. And Samuel goes, no, 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 no. I want to see him. In fact, uh, we're not going to sit down until you bring him in. Every youngest child knows this feeling, right? We're the forgotten ones, but we're the best ones. Mom and dad stopped after us. Couldn't do any better. But, there, but here's the thing with David. No one expected him to do anything. He was the stump of a dude out there attending sheep. No one thought David would do anything worthwhile. Even his dad forgot about him. So Jesse sent him and brought him in. And he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance with handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint, for this is the one. So Samuel took a horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the brothers were probably like, dang it. Him? Okay. Not only did he kill Goliath, now he gets to be the king. And from that day, the spirit of the Lord rested powerfully upon David. And then Samuel went off to Ramah. Here's the thing. David was a different person after that. He was a stump, but after here, the, the David had the Spirit of the Lord resting on him, and it's an ongoing rest, and it makes a complete difference. When the Spirit of the Lord rests upon you, it creates those stumps, takes those stumps, and it can take, and it can bring a different kind of life to you. This newness is marked, this Spirit comes, and it enables you to, have the, to delight in the fear of the Lord, in verse 3, it says, Delight in the fear of the Lord and not judge by what he sees or with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. Isaiah has been in a time where he's seen rulers judge by appearances instead of judge hearts, judge by what they hear from their friends instead of hear the actual story. And so because this spirit delights in the, in the law of the Lord and the fear of the Lord, it rules in a completely different way. The life that we have coming up from the stump is powerful. It sees things as God sees them. It doesn't take what others call just and right. It, it, it takes what God calls just. And right. We have this misconstrued idea of justice where it gets kind of confusing what justice actually is because what you call justice and what they call justice might be completely different. But this view of justice that Isaiah is rooting for and wishing for, and this idea of justice that Isaiah sees coming in the person of Christ, is the justice that's based on what God says is right, not what you and I believe is right. It's not justice where we can say, I'll compromise and give this, and if you give me that. No, 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 there's no compromise here. It's justice that comes from God. It's righteousness and fear of the Lord that leads to the real justice. This is a desire that he has. It comes from the Spirit of the Lord. It comes from a knowledge and experience of God, not just head knowledge and book knowledge. It says in verse 11, 4, this righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor, of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips, and he will slay the wicked. It's results for the poor and needy where they no longer become pawns in the political game. It's actual results with the poor and needy. 
It's not that the powerful escape even if they're wicked. What Isaiah is dreaming of is in this new life controlled by the Spirit. It actually takes the wicked and does away with them. He's dreaming of a new life, of a new way of living where the Spirit is in you. The Spirit is pointing you to what is just and there is no compromise in that. We can look around our world and we look towards Isaiah, we look towards Revelation and we see that when Christ returns we'll start to see this justice happen. We'll start to see that there's no slavery. We'll start to see that there's no oppression. That people are taken care of. And, and, and this, we call these things evil. They happen all around us. We say that's evil, that's evil, that's evil. When we look towards the end of the world, at the end of history and when Jesus comes back all evil is taken, taken care of. And we long for those days. And it's easy for us to sit back and say, we should take care of that evil. We should take care of that evil. We should take care. I wish those were gone. But when we do that, we always neglect to say, I should take care of this evil too. Because it's easy for us to point fingers and become cynical and say, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And we forget that we can be wrong. And so this new life that Isaiah is talking about has the Spirit of the Lord in it. It comes from the places we never expect. But it also points to this idea that you and I have evil in us. And in order for us to see true justice around us, we need to take the justice inside of us and start dealing with the evil that's inside of us as well. Jesus mentions this when he says, take care of the log in your eye before you deal with the speck in everybody else's. This is the life that, that we are promised in the spirit, and it's a life that we can have. It's not something we have to wait for when we get to heaven, even though heaven's great. It's not the point. This life that is described here is something that we can have today. A life of wholeness, a life of peace. This is what First Timothy is talking about. The goal of the command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. This is the goal, and it's something that you can have today. This is what the justice is, and this is what Isaiah wants for all of us. This is his Christmas list. This is what he wants for us to happen. And we can look at this and go, how do we live this life? It all goes back to the Spirit of the Lord resting upon you. It's not something that you try harder. You do more. It's not something that you grip on and white knuckle and say, I can do this, and you fight and fight and fight. No, no, no. The Spirit of the Lord enables you to live this life. It says in Ezekiel uh, 36, 27, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Notice it's not, Ezekiel's not saying that you'll try harder and you'll get it. No, no, no. The, the power that comes enable to, enabling you to live this life comes from the Spirit and your reliance on that Spirit. And all of this points to something else. It points to justice being done in your heart. It points to you then being agents of justice outside of your heart in the world around you. And when we see that, then we will see the transformation that we're looking for. Is this bothering you yet? Proceed. <laughs> Should make a bet. This will lead to the cosmos. That's too close to you, Steve Terrell. But this transformation, when we start to see the justice and start to point out the areas in our life where we need the help, will lead to transformation. And this is what Isaiah gets to in the last part of this, this passage. It says, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the, and the yearling, which I learned what that was last service, but... I don't remember now. They, 
they will be together and a child uh, will lead them. It's one of the most famous passages in scripture, but we don't, we look at it and go, is that really for real? Is that poetic? Is that pie in the sky knowledge? What is, what is happening with this? But when history ends, and we see this with Revelation, everything will be saturated by the presence of Christ. And all that is wrong, all the, the wrongs in society, all the places where there's brokenness will be brought back together and they'll be reconciled. Paul talks about in Christ, he's reconciling everything together. And the predator and prey situation that we see in our world will no longer be a thing. I was at the zoo yesterday. My father-in-law gifted Carrie and I zoo passes so we could take Judah, and Judah can run around with his kind animals. And so, and he just runs around, and he has a great time, and Carrie and I just kind of make sure we can keep an eye on him. But we were walking around there yesterday, and we started looking at all the animals, and they were great. And then on the bottom of most of the signs, it tells you what's going to kill them. And I was like, oh, that's a cool animal. That's going to wipe it out. Great. And so you start to see... Here's, here's the animal, here's its predator. And, and the predator prey uh, of how it all works out. It's like, oh man, that's, that's really sad. And then you turn on Discovery Channel and you watch predator prey and we start to see this and then you look in our world and you start to see the same pattern. There's predator and there's prey. And a lot of times you and I can feel like prey where we're under the attack we're the ones that are, are being wiped out. This is going to kill us. And we have these lists of things that will kill us. And they keep us up at night. Things like you can look around our city and you start to see what the predator and prey is in our city. You look in our culture and you see this, the, the oppression of mental illness. We see this in my family. We have someone in our family that has mental illness. You can drive up Aurora any time and see the sexual brokenness that's all rampant in our city. Uh, you, you walk through the hospital. Some of our friends here at Bethany Ballard are going through cancer treatments. And we see brokenness all around us. We see murder. We see war. We see rumors of war. We start hearing of all of these things and we think, is this ever going to get better? Are we always going to be prey? Is there always going to be a predator coming after us? And then you start to sense the brokenness in your own heart, and you go, man, I am not made for this. I, this is broken. This world is broken. This city that we're in is broken. And we start to have eyes to see all these places where the presence of Christ and the wholeness of Christ that Isaiah dreams of is not And then we, hopefully, don't turn to cynicism and say it'll never get better. Hopefully our turn is, uh, our Father, may your presence be here as it is in heaven. It leads us to a longing that God would hopefully, God will bring things together again. It leads us, our brokenness, our stumps that we have, take us to a place where we pray and seek for God to make things whole. Jesus did this. He walks up to his friend's house. Lazarus has been dead for some days now, four or five days. And he walks in and the first thing he does is weep. It's broken. It's not meant to be like that. He walks into the temple. It's broken. They're making light of what God said. They're ripping people off with finances and anger, tears. 
because it's not supposed to be like that. And we could look around and we see stumps, and the first thing we say is it's not supposed to be like that. We long for our world to be different, and those longings that we have both for our own hearts and for the world around us all point back to the same thing that Isaiah was looking for, Christ. It points us to our need for Christ in our lives. Our longing and our broken stumps point towards a longing for restoration that only Christ can bring to us and for us. I long for restoration, and that would be a great Christmas gift. I don't know what you have on your list personally, but I pray that those places in your life where all you see are stumps, I pray that you would desire and pray for God to breathe new life into them. That those broken spots would be filled with the Spirit and you would start to see the restoration take place. I, have, I, I, I know for a fact that our God is wanting to do that. And the truth is, he probably already is. I pray that you would have the eyes to see it. And that you would see Christ working all around you and in you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you uh, that you are working in our story, that you are working among the, the ashes and the stumps and the wastelands, the dumps that we have, all the places where we've been broken. You're working. God, rather than passing by these, these areas, I pray that you would... Uh, Give us your eyes to see and give us the mindfulness to take notice and point out these places where you are working. And may, when we see this, may it bring us hope that we don't have to stay broken, that we can be healed. And in that, we can be agents of your healing to a world that desperately needs not just a temporary fix, it needs a real fix. It needs your love. It needs your restoration. It needs your presence. It needs your transformation. It has to happen in our lives before it happens in our cities, in our homes, with our friends. So God, I pray for that to happen for each and every one of us today. In your name.